following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. How many of you guys are hoping and praying that next year is better than this year? Okay, does, does anyone need a, not need an upgrade next year? No, well, I think we're probably all hoping uh, that next year is better. This is a good year, a lot of things happen, but sometimes in life there's two steps forward, one step back, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's things we go through, and God's got a way of stretching us and growing us through these things. But I trust that all of us here this morning are hoping and praying that next year is profoundly better even than this year, that God meets us and does great things, that there's breakthrough in our life, there's opportunities and amazing, amazing things. I would suggest that God would like to do that in your life. God would like next year to be your best year. I believe, really believe that, and I'm not talking about a sense of prosperity, but prosperity in your soul, for you to have joy and for you to get in on opportunities that only God could open doors. But I believe when we look at the Bible, and we look at the narrative of scripture that there's one thing that comes before change. There's one thing uh, that, that comes before new opportunities. And oftentimes, it starts right here with us. It starts right here with us. And it starts with the changes uh, that we have to make. Um, and the reason this is important, because if we don't make changes, we tend to be creatures of habit. It's very common, just our humanity. We're just creatures of habit. And, and the saying is true, you may have heard of it before, that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. And so we can hope and pray that next year is better. We can hope and pray that God's gonna do a new thing and, and things are gonna shift around and, and change. But oftentimes, if we don't change, then we'll always do what we've always done and we'll always get what we've always gotten. I think it's important before we start praying and reaching out for the future and what is, what is the vision God has for our new year and all these great things, before we can do that, I think we gotta start first with ourselves and we gotta look at some things uh, in our own lives because there's a, a spiritual law in place that God put in place in the beginning of time. And that law is that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. We Whatever we plant in the ground, we get out of the ground. Um, if we plant good seed, we get good crops, good fruit. If we, if we plant bad seed, we essentially get weeds in our life. And we can be hoping and praying that the future is going to be good. God, do a great thing next year, God. Break through, change things, open doors of provision and opportunity. And yet, yet, we're going to reap what we sow as well. And we have to watch what we're doing as creatures of habit that we don't continue in some key things maybe that we have continued in so that the future opportunity of this next year would be great. I think if we talk to any good farmer, and maybe some of you have some experience with some horticulture plants or things like that, any good farmer would tell you, you can't just plant the seed, you got to first pull the, the weeds, right? You can't just start by planting the seed, you got to first pull the weeds. If you don't, the weeds will come and choke out. Scripture tells us that the, that the weeds will choke out the very seed and the things that God's trying to grow in our lives. And so we're going to look today about removing some of these things. Literally, the soil of your heart and the soil of mine, the things that 
God wants us, I believe, is speaking to us right now as we wind up a year and step into a new time. And by the way, time, things are changing very quickly. You were born for such a time as this. Uh, We're not here by happenstance or coincidence. God has us in this city at this time, in this place of life. That's God's sovereign design to put us here. So we need to make the most of these opportunities yet. Before we can reach out and just pray for this future, I really think we have to deal with our soil. I think we really have to deal with pulling weeds if God's gonna have some great fruition in our life in this next year uh, ahead. And so uh, before we look ahead, sometimes we need to look back. We need to change some things. Uh, This year, there's some things that need to stay behind. Can anybody think of anything in their life that needs to stay behind? Anything you want to walk away from this year? Okay, think about this, and I, I believe God's given us a few things today, put on my heart to share with you, a few key areas that if you and I will deal with some of these things that we need to put off, put behind us, uh, leave in the last year, I mean, really start to reconcile, pull some of these weeds and leave them behind, I trust that God is going to do a far greater thing next year than he did in your life last year. Uh, Because the journey with God is a process of sanctification where he tunes us up, he cleans us up, he reveals more things. And over time, there were certain things that we were able to get away with, but now we're in a place where God's like, not anymore. I'm taking you higher and I'm taking you further. And so some things just need to stay behind. We need to leave behind, say goodbye to, change our attitude, choices, and our actions. We're talking about removing the obstacles today. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, I'm going to look at a few key passages on removing obstacles. And uh, I believe these three areas, out of these three areas, I think they all apply to all of us this morning. But I trust there's going to be at least one or two of these areas that's really going to resonate personally with you this morning. Uh, I know in preparing this, it did in my heart. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and uh, here's, here's the thing, there are, there are things that keep us from the future that God has for us. There are things that hold us back from the best that God has for us. Um, he told Israel, listen guys, I'm putting before you, it's your choice, I love you, I love you, you're my children, God would say. I'm putting blessings and curses, life and death. Choose, choose which one you want. But choose life, choose life. And you and I get to choose every day, blessings, curses, life and death, choices, reaping, sowing. And we can have a love for Jesus and be forgiven of sins and and have eternity and, and heaven as a reality and yet not walk in the promises of God, the blessings of God, the opportunities of God and still get caught up in things and really hinder the hope and future I believe that God has for us And so I want to look at some of the things that do get in the way so we can remove these obstacles. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is an amazing passage. There's a lot going on in it. Uh, but to start out with the, with, with the picture, uh, Paul's writing and, and telling us that our life is kind of like a race. Uh, and it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It, it's a marathon throughout life. And in our walk with God, our journey with God in faith. And he's saying, in this race, it's marked out for you. In other words, God, for each of us in this room, has a marked out path. 
and it is the best path. God's path is so much better than our path. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, give give you a hope and a future. God's got a plan. God's got a, a race. He's got a path. Now we can deviate, and he has grace, but it's gonna completely hinder the blessing and the opportunities God has unless we stay in step with the Holy Spirit, as scripture says. So God's got this track. He's got this race for us to run, and it's marked out for us. And listen to this. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This is profound, and some theologians ponder the depth and the magnitude of this meaning, but I would suggest to you, uh, it doesn't mean just one, or one thing. It has kind of a, a plural uh, explanation. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. God Almighty himself, our loving Father, is looking down at you as his child, as a blood-bought son or daughter. God is looking at you and saying, way to go, son. Come on, keep coming this way. Way to go, daughter. I love you. Keep coming this way. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And the whole angelic host in heaven is also looking down. We're surrounded by all of the powers of God in the invisible saying, way to go. A great cloud of witnesses watching us in the bleachers run this race and God is for us, not against us. That's the good news. You got that picture? But I also believe this would include all of those who you have loved and our ancestors who died in the faith and rise in Christ and go on in glory, who now from a heavenly perspective are in the presence of God looking on also going, way to go, keep going. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and we get that picture it's pretty amazing. I mean, it blows me away to think of the magnitude of God and the angels and possibly deceased ancestors who loved Jesus, who died in Christ and rose in Christ, all in that realm looking down at us going, way to go, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And what he's saying here is that on this race, there are things that in fact hinder and stumble. Can you say that with me? Hinder and stumble. One more time. Hinder and stumble. Hinder is pulling, pulling back. We're trying to race, but they're, they're pulling back. There's things in our lives that hinder. They, they just kind of pull us back. And they could be weights or they're things we're carrying or they're, they're things we're pulling along or not letting go of. There are things that hinder us. And on this track, on this race, there's also things that trip us up along the way. We stumble, we hit our foot, we, we, we lose our momentum. These are things that, that, that hinder us um, and things that weigh us down. They hinder and entangle is what the scripture is saying. And oftentimes this is sin. The things, everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. So it's, get the picture, you're running along and it's almost like you're running into a cobweb or, a, or some sort of net and you're like, whoa, what's this? And I gotta get that off me and it's gonna completely take you off of your race and your aim and your focus and your momentum. And we're living in times where we don't have time for that anymore. We don't have time to stop and, and take nets off and, 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 and drag chains with us because there's a race marked out for all of us by God as we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We've got no time for this stuff anymore. Bible says when I was a child, I used to think and act and speak like a child, but now that I've grown, I've put away childish things. We're in a race now, 
big boys and big girls and a big race for God Almighty with his spirit in us trying to stay in step with the spirit as we run this race and we're living at a time, if you want next year to be greater than this year, if you want God to do great things and open opportunities, privileges, we got to remove some obstacles. And that's not necessarily something God will do for you. He'll say, I'll work with you, but I need you to work with you, God would say. He needs me to work with me so that God can work with me. There's things that we have to own that we have to turn from, that we have to change, that we've got to change our mind, we've got to change our direction. God doesn't change everybody's mind. We're agents of free will. We can acknowledge God or walk from God. Free will has been in the garden. We've seen it all along. Free will has never gone away. And, and we have this choice every day to walk with God or not walk with God. And in this case here, it's like there's such a witness around you. The race is marked before you. Acknowledge that and get rid of the things that are holding you back and stumbling you, entangling along the way. Things that weigh us down, trip us up, entangle us, and delay us. The Bible is saying, don't navigate these things anymore. Don't just navigate the things that pull on you. Don't like, yeah, well, I'll just you know, keep pushing it away. And, you know, I'll just, or the things that are tripping you up. Don't just keep dealing with that. The Bible is saying, don't drag the weights behind and don't keep tripping over the same stuff. The Bible is saying, throw it out. Throw it off. There are things, guys, in our life that have to stay back there. That we can't take them in the new year. We want the provision. We'll pray for vision. We'll pray for God to do great things. But I'm telling you, if we drag this stuff with us, if we keep tripping over the same stuff, if we keep dragging the same weight behind us, we're not going to get in on that full hope and future that God has for us because we're going to keep reaping what we're sowing and there's going to be weeds growing up in our life when we want good fruit, but we're not doing the word in this area. So I would encourage you just in, in your own heart, think about what this year, this is important, guys. This is like a little soul-searching time to change your transition, to, to really launch into a new year with a new hope and a, and, and a vision Think about this yourself. You might want to write it down, put it on your phone, your device. Don't forget this. This is important because I think it's important for all of us to to work through this stuff. What has entangled you this year? Be a different thing for everybody probably, but what has entangled you? I mean, literally like running and you stopped and hit the web. Were you like, what, what stopped you this year? What stopped your race? What tripped you up? What made you pull over? What made you park? What made you take a break and just kind of stop running with the Lord? What, what, what did that in this race marked out, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses? Because there are things. And we have to be honest about that. We all have things in our life that have hindered and that we've dragged and that have entangled. And the word is saying, identify them and throw them off. And throw them off isn't just throw them off. Throw them off is like a like a deep bomb in football, like this thing is out of here. It's out. I can't take this with me anymore. It's out. If it's entangling, it's bam, break it away. It's out. I can't drag this with me. We can't run the race marked, set out for us, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses as we pull things along. I would encourage you to identify first what those things are and to throw those off, intentionally throw those off. Why? Because we reap what we sow. And we'll never get in on that future. So if you're note taker, the first point this morning is whatever hindered or entangled you, throw it off. Whatever hindered you this year, whatever entangled you last year, 
Don't be surprised if it also hindered and tangled you the year before or the year before because we all have these areas in our life and the devil knows this will really entangle him really well. This will really hinder her really well. Identify these things, throw them off, throw them off, throw them off. And if, if you want to see God move in your life this year, maybe this year you'd like to say, I want to see the hand of God more in my life this year than I did last year. Maybe you'd say, I literally want to see God's intervention around me, not just believing in God in my mind, in my heart. I want to see God do things. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Maybe you want to see more uh, divine uh, opportunities. Maybe you want to see some uh, divine appointments. You, you, just, you just really want to see God, who is the living God. You guys believe he's the living God? He's the living God. Maybe you want to see the living God just simply more alive. Maybe you're missing out. Maybe you want to get in on more of God, I want to acknowledge your presence. I know you're all-knowing, all-powerful. You're always present. But God, I want to get in. I want to, I want to participate in that, God. And I don't think I've participated as much in the last year as I, I, I wanted this year, God. And I wanted it. Maybe that's you this morning. And so I want to talk about that aspect, too, of this year compared to, to next year. Um, if you want to experience the presence of God, the hand of God, the intervention of God. We see throughout all the Gospels a picture of a lot of different people. And many, many people did not get in on seeing God's hand, his power, and many others did. And the difference between those that did and those that didn't was based on one thing, really. How close they walked with Jesus. The ones who walked with Jesus really walked with Jesus. They got in on things. They heard things. They saw things. There's others that were way in the back there. They didn't get to see very much. They just heard the stories. Hey, what happened up there? You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> really, what was it? Oh, man, this guy came out, the demon possessed. He laid hands, that guy, and then he healed that other girl. And then you're not going to believe what he did. Really? What, what was it like? Oh, I couldn't explain it. You'd have to be there. If everyone in the narrative of Scripture who saw God do these things was walking close to Jesus and the ones who didn't and stayed in the back, they missed out on these things. I believe it's the same for our lives too. Let's turn to this one passage, uh, Luke 8 if you can, Luke chapter 8. I want to look at this passage of someone so committed to getting close to Jesus would do anything to get close to to Jesus, her heart was devoted. It wasn't divided. A divided heart will not get you close to Jesus. A devoted heart will get you close to Jesus. In this story, it's a profound picture, a snapshot of a woman who literally crawled to Jesus on her hands and knees in the middle of a crowd that you couldn't even barely fit through. And I believe it's an amazing illustration of how intensely uh, passionate she was about getting to Jesus. I gotta get close to him. I need his intervention. I gotta get close to him. It says in Luke 8, I'm gonna pick this up in the middle of verse 42. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him 
and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she had gone, not gone unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This is a story right here of crowds. It literally says crushing against him. You get the picture? This isn't Jesus just walking loose with a few. This, this crowds mobbed around him, mobbed around him. And this woman is like, that's not gonna stop me. In fact, nothing's gonna stop me. I will do everything and anything to get close to Jesus. Now, this is a passion and it's a devoted heart. It's not a passive Christian. It's not somebody on the side saying, when he walks by, maybe I'll hear what he says. It's not someone at the back of the crowd saying, after he does all these things, maybe tell me what happened. This is someone that says, no, I gotta get to him myself. The passage says the crowds almost crushed him. She comes up behind him when you can't even get to him. You got the picture? The crowds are crushing him where he can't breathe, crushing him. And she somehow is coming up behind. The hem of his garment is low. She's coming in seemingly on her hands and knees through a crowd of people, maybe getting stepped on on the way, but nothing will stop her. And it says when she finally gets there and pushes her hand through people's legs and wherever she can get, just reach out, grab that garment. Jesus right away is like, who touched me? Who touched me? Peter says the people are crowding, they're pressing all around you, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? You're mobbed. You're mobbed right now. People are crushing you. They're crowding. They're pressing against you. Jesus is like, no, someone pressed in and touched me. That's different. Someone pressed in and touched me. And she told why she touched him. And as a result, she was healed. The second point this morning is this, is to do whatever it takes to get as close to Jesus as possible. Do whatever it takes to get as close to Jesus as possible. Because if you get close to Jesus this year, I mean close to Jesus, this is where you will experience uh, divine appointments. This is where you will have encounter. You'll run into people at the store. Why? Just, you're just close to Jesus. You're one of those people who press through. You, you try to live your life like reaching out and, and, and not being in the back of the crowd. If you have a devotional life with Jesus where you press in and you spend time with Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, you, you begin to get in on a whole different realm of things that happen. And there's people way in the back that all they're going to do is hear the stories. And I don't know that their next year is going to be a whole lot different than their last year. I hope it is, but it might not be. Because it's those who press in and get close to Jesus get to see God's hand, God moving. Everyone in the story, everyone who wrote this down, these are eyewitness accounts of people who saw what happened in and around Jesus. Those who got close to Jesus had an eyewitness account. And those who didn't, didn't have an eyewitness account. I would encourage you uh, not only to put off obstacles, but make the intention of getting anything out of the way that is preventing you from getting close to Jesus. This lady had a lot of excuses on why she couldn't get to Jesus, and she wasn't acknowledging any of those excuses. I don't care how many people, I don't care what I gotta do, I'm gonna fight my way through this crowd. I am not gonna let busyness, I'm not gonna let people, I'm not gonna let schedule, I'm not gonna let anything stop me from pursuing Jesus, coming up behind him, reaching through the crowd and just touching the hem of his garment because he's the real 
He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the prince. He's the savior. He's the lover of my soul. She knows that. So she now has experienced God's presence, God's hand, God's intervention by getting as close to Jesus as possible. I remember years ago when I was a new Christian, I think I was a Christian maybe a year, somebody told me, uh, this friend of mine who was really on fire for God, and and he said, uh, you know, I just want to get as close to Jesus as humanly possible. And I'll be honest with you, at the time, I, I thought, well, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, I love God, I want him to love me, and I want him to answer my prayers, and I want to go to heaven, I want forgive. I want those things, but dude, if you're talking about as close to Jesus as humanly possible, you know, what does that look like, and what does that mean? And I, and I didn't really get it, and maybe you're here this morning going, yeah, I don't know if I get that. I want to encourage you, his ways are the ultimate ways for you. He's the lover of your soul. He knows the plans he has for you. There is no better way, guys. There is no better way than God's way for your life. There is no better way. It's not like the blessings of God and I'm gonna do my own thing. That's not the life. That's a divided heart. You know, the Bible says, I would rather you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And when we want everything our way, but also God, add your blessings to my backpack. Put every blessing you can in here, God. I'm doing my own thing. That's a divided heart. This lady's like, I'm going to where Jesus is. And I'm not letting anything stop me. I want to encourage you guys. This is where it's at right here. Do whatever it takes to get as close to Jesus as possible because it is in that place you will experience his his presence, his provision, his ways, his perspectives, his intervention. You'll, You'll experience divine appointments. God will move along. As you walk with Jesus, he's never gonna leave or forsake you. He's gonna walk with you and walk you into situations and things that you'll have some stories to tell. It's really amazing. Now, some obstacles in our life are not obvious ones. Some obstacles that we need to get rid of are not obvious things we trip on. They're not obvious nets or webs we run into. Uh, But nevertheless, they are profound obstacles and they will weigh us and burden us and hinder us in, in profound ways. And I want to talk this morning uh, about the obstacle of unforgiveness because the obstacle of unforgiveness is one that is so subtle and it is almost silent and it creeps up from behind and actually pulls us down and we don't really realize it. And oftentimes believers feel like this forgiveness topic is something that they have the right to forgive who they want, when they want, if they want, if they feel they should or if they feel they shouldn't. And I want to encourage you to change your paradigm on that because God's got an entirely different perspective on forgiveness. In fact, Jesus came over the issue of forgiveness. God is all about forgiveness. God loved the world so much that he sent the son. Why? Because forgiveness was necessary. There was a huge issue of forgiveness with humanity and the sin couldn't go away. Jesus is like, I'm going to come and take it away. Forgiveness is everything. I'm going to forgive you and, and, and I want to just look at the magnitude of this. Um, this obstacle of unforgiveness, the only way we can get free from this obstacle, the only way, is a forgiving heart. A forgiving, there's no other way. A heart that chooses to forgive. And these, are, again, are heart conditions of ours. We can pray about a new year. We can hope for a new year. But I'll be honest with you, if we are dragging matters of unforgiveness into a new year, 
You may find yourself on your own in some areas. God will not bless unforgiveness. He won't say, fine, hold on to all that stuff. I'm just gonna bless you anyway. God cares about this. And he loves you too much and me to see us carry any matters of unforgiveness out of one year into the next year. And maybe, maybe, we've actually dragged some of these matters from the year before that and the year before that. They're subtle. They're subtle. We don't see them every day. We don't think we're tripping on them every day. We don't feel like it's a net that we're running into every day. Yet it is, it is even more powerful sometimes than some of the other things we uh, trip on or run into. And so, um, yeah, the passage, I'd like us to look at if we can. You can just turn there. It's Hebrews twelve fifteen. But this is how you know. How do you know you have an obstacle of unforgiveness in your life. You might come here this morning and say, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. I don't have a problem with anybody, I'm good. I'm, I got no issues with anybody at all, period. And I believe on a surface level, that's oftentimes what we, what we think, we're, we're pretty good. But here's how you know. Let me, let me present some of these kind of concepts to you. Um, when you think about somebody, or you hear about somebody, or you run into or see somebody, does it cause you to have a negative thought or a bad feeling in any way? Any person, any person. You see them, you're like, uh, uh uh-oh. Whether it's a family thing, whether it's the workplace thing, whether it's in church, anywhere, do you have that little, you know what I mean, that little glitch? You guys know what I'm talking about? The little internal glitch? Can I get a show of hands? Where you go, right? There's that momentary pause. There's something there. It's a little check, like, all right. It's a pause, it's a, it's, a, it's a lapse for a second. That is what I'm talking about. That is an indicator that there is still unforgiveness in the heart. It's an indicator. Maybe in conversations, if you have conversations where you still talk about being hurt by somebody. If you, in any of your conversations, talk about how somebody hurt you, not today, somebody closed the door on you. I don't mean that, I mean like somebody, somebody hurt you back there last week, last month, yesterday, last year. If you have that in your conversations, it's an indicator that this obstacle of unforgiveness is still present, it is still alive and well, and it is something left undealt with that we will drag with us, invisible, but very heavy, and we will drag it right into the next year, asking God to bless our socks off, God. Give us this awesome new year, God. And yet we're dragging this thing with us. And we wonder why we're not running this kind of race that, that we should be running. These are some of the kind of things. If, if past wounds are still part of your conversations, it's a sign that there's an outstanding offense. There's still an outstanding offense where we were offended or hurt or sinned against. It can come in a lot of forms and a lot of fashions but we were either sinned against intentionally or unintentionally. It doesn't matter. The fact is we took it personal and that's what offense is. Offense is taking something internal. And here's, here's an indicator that we're still dragging things. What ends up growing this offense uh, causes both resentment and bitterness in our life. Resentment and bitterness. Now, resentment means to replay the sentiment, what we feel. The sentiment is what we feel resentment is to replay the sentiment, to replay the thought, to replay what we feel, to replay what happened. In telling others about what happened, we are re 
replaying the thought. Does that make sense? We're replaying the thought. We're telling the story. We're living the pain over again. And we're not only living it again, we're sharing it again. We're spreading it again. We're pushing it all around. We want everyone to understand the pain or what we went through. And this is a sign of resentment. It's coming out. It's living on and it's, it's carrying on. And, and then bitterness, bitterness is when our heart actually begins to turn sour. That's why when you see someone or think of them, you have a, a negative thought. It's a, it's, a, it's a sour, it's a bitterness in the heart. Now, we don't think about this stuff because we figured, well, it's not a huge deal. I'm going forward, but I just want to encourage you, family. Where God is calling us, when I was a child, (laughs) I used to think and act and speak like a child. But now that I'm grown, I'm putting away childish things. This kind of thing, it's it's childish. It's it's, it's not mature faith. Mature faith, if you're mature in the faith, uh, in fact, we were just talking the other day and the the, the statement of uh, you can tell how big a man is by the size of the things that bother him. Is that how it's said? Uh, you can tell how big a woman is by the size of the things that bother her. And, and, and if we go through life as, as Christians and we go through life in the faith and we're still got bitterness, things, people, talking about hurts, uh, that's, we've we got to live beyond that, guys. God's calling us to run a race and there's no place for that sort of stuff. That's the bitterness kind of stuff we need to deal with. So this is what Hebrews 12, 15 says. The second part of this verse says, watch out that no poisonous root, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. In other words, this bitterness that will get in any of us, any of us, everyone, me, you, everyone, it will get in. We've got to deal with it. We've got to go at it. There's a root of the bitterness. There's a root. Down there somewhere, it's an offense, either someone sinned against you or it was an unmet expectation or something you hoped for that didn't happen or whatever it was, whether it was a sin of commission or a sin of omission, something happened and, and we didn't like it. We're offended by it. We're hurt by it. How dare they, how dare that, whatever it might be, and we feel we have the right to hold on to it. And guess what? That starts, to, remember we reap what we sow? That turns into a weed way down in here, turns into a wheat, and it begins to grow. And God knows that. And that's why it's saying, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness. Why? Because it's poisonous. It'll kill us slowly. It grows up in you and it will trouble you, yeah, because we drag it with us forever and keep sharing. And listen, it says, and corrupting many. Why will a root of bitterness in your life or in my life corrupt many? Because it changes you and it changes me. When we walk around bitter, God wants us better, not bitter, right? But we're walking around bitter instead of better. And when we're walking around bitter, we're kind of wrecking our witness and we're kind of wrecking things for those around us and, and maybe sharing the hurt and keep you know, putting it out, the, the, why we're bitter and why we're hurt. And that starts wrecking a lot of things in your environment. It's starting to change the atmosphere. If you've walked into the room, maybe in the holiday time around Christmas and someone starts unloading on all kinds of things, it changes the atmosphere in the room. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When someone starts to vent or fume or justify, it doesn't matter how we call it, it changes the atmosphere in the room. Why? Because there's a poisonous roots of bitterness. We gotta stop and we gotta deal with them because we're supposed to run a race, tangle free, throwing stuff off, and yet we hold on to 
some of these things. This root of bitterness, it started with a seed. It started with an entry point. It started with an offense. It started with a sin. It started with an unmet expectation sometimes, but we hold on to the offense and we hold grudges and sometimes for years. And if we're praying our next year is going to be better than our last year, look at this one really close because sometimes this goes back multiple years. And I'm telling you, we're never going to run the way we're supposed to run when we're holding on to offenses like this. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us that the love, the love that God is calling us to, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Listen to this. It is not easily angered and it keeps no records of wrongs. Now, the other translations were referring to this. It is not easily angered and keeps no records of wrongs. Uh, some say it is not easily offended. Easily offended. Now, some get very easily offended. Very easily offended. And I believe we're living in times now where people are getting offended over everything. I can't believe that. They didn't serve communion every single week. What's wrong with those people? Bunch of hypocrites. What? You know, uh, you know why is the music so loud? I'm never going back there. That's the nerve of them. It's like, God, we're a family of believers, sons and daughters. On the job, what offends you? Which neighbor really offends you? Think about the stuff that offends, offends us. The Bible says you're not your own. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. And yet we walk around getting so offended sometimes. The Bible also marks that as a sign of the end times where people are going to walk around offended. Everyone's getting offended with everybody. All kinds of stuff getting offended. Um, The translations use not easily offended. Some use the term irritated. Some use the term resentful. Some use the term provoked. Some use the term annoyed. The different translations of the Bible on this word of being offended use different words. Think about what does that in your life. Think about who has done that in your life. Because the only way to get free, the only way to get free is to release them, whoever they were, whatever they did. The only way to get free is to let them go. Let them go. You got to let people go. Got to let stuff go. The only way to release them is through a forgiving heart. This is what it says in Luke 11, verses 2 through 4. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, meaning holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This transaction with God. Thank you for your forgiveness, God. And we too, God, are forgiving those who forgive against us because you relieved our debt and we're going to relieve their debt. This is what the prayer is and this is what God modeled. One translation says it like this. May we have forgiveness for our sins as we make free all those who are in debt to us. Anyone who's in debt to you over an issue, over an offense, they owe you an apology. They owe me. They hurt me, the nerve of any of those kind of things in your mind. Set them free. <laughs> Set them free. Set them free. It's a prophetic word for some of you this morning. Set them free. Let them go. Set them free. You're not going to have a liberated year next year if you don't set them free. You can pray all you want for the blessings and the open doors, but guys, this is like big stuff. This is major stuff. God came for the forgiveness issue. We can't just like sidestep it and go, whatever, I'm entitled to hold on to what I want to. This is a major, major uh, deal. So for, for, for believers, forgiveness is not an option. 
It's not an option, it's required. We must extend to others what God extended to us. In fact, the, in fact Matthew 5.23 says that it hinders our worship, hinders our worship, that we can't even really stand before God in praise and adoration and have worship as our lifestyle, not really, if we have unforgiveness in our heart. It's like our worship's going up and it's ricocheting off something. It's not getting through. Nope, God's like, go deal with that. In fact, that's what he says. He said, if you got ought in your heart, you got an issue in your heart, you got a problem with somebody, stop the worship. Go make it right and then come back because I don't want the worship when there's stuff like, I don't got to forgive them, the nerve of them. Anyway, I love you, God. Those, those people, I can't stand them. God, you're awesome. God's like, no, it doesn't really work like that. I'm sorry, you know. Again, when we were child, children, we used to think and act and speak like a child, but now that we've grown, we've got to put away some childish Childish ways. Another thing it says in 1 Peter 3, it says that it actually hinders our prayers. Hinders our prayers. Did you know that? Unforgiveness hinders our prayers. Think about it. We're praying for a new year. We're praying for a new beginning. We're praying for new opportunities. God, open doors of provision. Think about this, and I love the analogy. Gentlemen, you like football, and we're getting into December football and playoff time and wild card spots and all that stuff, but here's the deal. You've seen these games come on down to a field goal. They burn the clock down. They get to the whatever, the 10-yard line. And here it is. They took all the clock away from the other team, and they did it on purpose because all they got is one simple, short field goal. They do it all day long. The guy could do it left foot, right foot. doesn't matter. The guy could do it probably back. It's an easy one. It's an easy one. And finally, the last play of the game, and the guy goes to kick a field goal, and somebody gets a hand up there, Oh no, deflected. It was deflected. The game is over. There's no more time. It was deflected. First Peter 3 says our prayers can get hindered or deflected. Read it later, First Peter 3, uh, chapter 3, because of our unforgiveness. Our unforgiveness, which we think is optional, that we have the right and we can do what we want because people hurt us or we're offended by them or... They should have known better. We feel we have the right to not forgive. Guys, it's not an option. It's required. It will hinder our worship. It will hinder our prayers. This is what uh, Colossians 3.13 says. I believe we have this for up here. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God forgave you. We have to forgive them. But listen what it says. It says, bear with one another. And forgive whatever the grievance is. The grievance might not even be a sin. It might even be a preference. Sometimes our preferences are so strong, we treat it as sin. I can't believe they did that. It's like, is it a sin? Well, no, it's not in the Bible. I just don't like it. Okay, that's different. It's a preference. But we're so strong and passionate about sometimes our preferences that sometimes these things hurt us or offend us. The Bible is saying to bear with one another, the, the the term in, in the Old King James is forbearance, to have forbearance. Pray for a heart of forbearance this year. Pray for a heart of forbearance that we can, in fact, learn to bear with each other, which simply means not take offense to people's stuff. Everyone's marching to the beat of a different drum. Have you realized that? Right? Everybody's got stuff. We've got stuff. Everybody's got stuff. We've got to learn to have a little forbearance so that we don't take everything personal and get offended with everything. If so, if so, in silence, the seed goes in, the root of bitterness grows, resentment is alive and well, 
We're being robbed. Everyone's being robbed. The kingdom of God, we're not running a race. It's not moving forward. This is a really, really big deal. You've got to learn how to deal with it. Um, you know, this is a good note. If the worship team would come up, I just want to close on, on this. After uh, the Civil War, after the Civil War, uh, Robert E. Lee visited uh, a lady in Kentucky who took him to the remains of a large old tree. This large old tree was in the front of her house, and then she bitterly cried that its limbs and the trunk had been destroyed by the Union artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North, or at least sympathizing with her loss. And after a brief silence, Lee said, Ma'am, Madam, cut it down and forget about it. And walked away. Just, just cut it down and forget about it. But some people want to keep looking at that tree and pointing at that tree and look what they did to me. Look what... And I, and, and I respect Lee's words here because he's right on what the heart of God would be. Just cut it down and forget about it. Throw off whatever entangles you. Throw off the sin or the things that entangle, the things that trip us up, the things that weigh us back. Things, we're not going to go into next year with some revolutionary change in God's kingdom and his ways if we're dragging a bunch of stuff with us. So I want you to write this down too if you think about this uh, for the final point this morning. Who has offended you this year? Who has offended you? We all get offended, guys. It's just what do we do with the offense? We all get it. There's things that offend us. People can disrespect. They can, you know, uh, do something malicious. They could overlook something they obviously should not have overlooked. Could be a lot of different things. But who offended you this year? I think personally you need to take note of that. I really do. Take note of who offended you in the family, in the faith, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, wherever it is, who offended you this year, it's time to forgive. Like the tree, it's time to leave it behind. It's time to set them free. And when you set them free, you set yourself free. Because they're not the only one free. This is how you get free. This is how you set you free. See, Jesus already paid for all this stuff. But we got to partner with him in the way we walk it out. You set you free by setting them free. It's an amazing uh, spiritual reality of what happens, the magnitude of forgiveness. So the third point and the final point this morning is forgive all to set them free and set yourself free. Forgive them. So think about who's ever offended you. Think of who's hurt you. Think who's done that. And really maybe do a little inventory. And sometime between now and the new year, just don't go in the new year, rah, rah, hope everything's good, hope everything changes because we're gonna reap what we sow and we gotta deal with some stuff we got to throw some stuff off. we got to put some things behind. we got to shuffle uh, the deck, so to speak. Here's a couple of quick action points. If you want a couple of action points on how to finish your year well, how to remove obstacles, and, and I would encourage, start with this unforgiveness topic. Pray about who. Pray about who you need to forgive in your life. It might not even be this year. I am uh, I'm not surprised that, that many people hold on to things from years ago, um, but you're going to find that as you're growing in your faith, God's like, I got to call you out on that one now. I didn't call you out on them before because you were learning like a little kid on a, on a bicycle with training wheels. You're learning how to ride. And, but, but you know what? You're, you're a big kid now and you don't have the training wheels anymore. And now it's time for some hills. It's time for you to get some momentum. It's time for you to get some endurance. And we got to work through some of these things. Pray about who. Pray about who you might have lingering offense any of those feelings we talked about early of bitterness, resentment, any of those things that creep up at all, identify who that is. 
And then the next point is to take full responsibility for your part. This is surprising, but sometimes when you finally work things out and talk things through people, with people, if you get that opportunity, they saw something totally different than what you saw. And we're convinced what we saw was the facts of life. Um, but sometimes they saw it different. They read it different. There's another aspect to it. So it's important to take full responsibility for your part. The other thing is we have to acknowledge that unforgiveness is actually a sin. And then if, we ha- if we haven't forgiven people, if we've held on to stuff, we've got to confess that to God. We can't, can't act like it was okay too. We really need to say, God, I am sorry. Would you forgive me? Because I've been dragging this with me years and you already forgave me and yet I'm not forgiving them. I've dragged this. So literally say, God, would you forgive me for my lack of forgiveness, for my unforgiveness? This is important. Confession is a pathway to revival, even in our lives personally. Confession is important. And then give that offense to God. Just say, God, that hurt, whatever that is, that bitter, that whatever that thing is, Lord, I really want to give it to you because you're the only one that can take it away. I, I can't do anything else with it. There's nowhere else to put it. I really got to give it to you, God, because on that cross, when Jesus died for those sins, the thing that hurt you, guess what? It's already on the cross. Jesus died for the sins of the world, el todo mundo, the whole world, all of the sins. And yet what we do is we take some of those sins off. We're like, no, I'm holding on to this one. They really hurt me. God's like, would you give that back to me? Okay. Give it back to him. Put it on the cross where it belongs. The next thing would be to demonstrate your forgiveness. Begin praying for that person. Begin praying for the person. Whoever hurt you, begin praying for them. Before any dialogue or any attempt, just just pray for them. It's amazing what God will do through praying for people. He changes us. He changes them. It's amazing. Watch what God does when you start praying for people. Start praying for them. And then the last thing would be is if possible, if possible, speak with them or write them a letter if you can, and I know that varies, but the Bible says, so much as it's up to you, be reconciled with one another. Sometimes you can't put it back the way it was. There's some relationships that have really been through a war and it will never be the way it was because of what has happened. However, so much as it's up to you, try to be reconciled with one another. Try to communicate, try to talk, try to let them know that you're praying for them. At least that. You're on my heart, I'm praying for you. Try to open a door with some kind of dialogue, whether it's through writing, whether it's email, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a text, pray. Try to do that. You're gonna find yourself positioned in your heart for an amazing new year. You're gonna find your heart is in a place of blessability with God. You're gonna find that your heart is in a place where God can open and unfold the whole next chapter of this race to you. But I really believe all of us, myself included, if we don't really do this, if we think that these obstacles can be explained away or brushed aside. We're dragging the stuff into the new year and saying, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. And God's saying, let it go, let it go, let it go. My daughter knows that song really good. Let it go, let it go, right? Yeah, can't hold it back anymore. It's time, right? Um, But it's important, guys. We've got to let this stuff go. We've got to cut the obstacles free. And on that note, we're going to close in prayer right now. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.